You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, Lacrosse is at it again with a new line of lace-up hunting boots, the Navigator Series. And in that Navigator Series, there are two models. There's the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. To find out more information about this new Navigator Series, visit lacrossefootwear.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, the number one source for hunting and fishing information, strategy and tactics, as well as conversations surrounding conservation efforts and other outdoor activities in the great state of Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast starts right now. All right, everybody, it is one of the greatest times of the year if you're a whitetail hunter hell if you're a water waterfowler too but today we're going to be talking about whitetails and uh, the title of this podcast kind of says it all and the title of this podcast is called the rut is coming and i'm going to be talking with gary faith he is a contributor to the magazine and he's been on the podcast a couple times and we're going to talk about what's going on right now and what's going to be going on in the next handful of weeks. You know, hunting this pre-rut, rut, post-rut time frame. We're going to talk a little bit about strategy. We're going to BS for a little bit about, uh, you know, how we approach things, changes we've seen over the years, uh, not only to the terrain, not only about the terrain, but the uh, our strategies as well, right? He, Gary, for example, Gary talks about how, you know, he has seen that the doe cycle on his private property farm uh, the same time every year. He talks about finding good terrain features on a piece of public ground that he hunts a lot. Uh, I talk about the strategy that I imply or um, that I use during the rut as far as checking trail cameras, hunting fresh sign, being as mobile as possible. And uh, I, I tell you, it's one of those things where anything can happen at any time this time of year and for the next four weeks, really. Uh, it's the best time to be a bow hunter. And uh, I'm just really excited to get out and uh, start hunting, you know, really start hunting. I mean, I'm your mornings, nights, everything. But before we get into this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about Bondurant Custom Furniture. Now, we talk about these guys a lot, and until you take the time to go to their website, BondurantCustomFurniture.com, go to their gallery and check out all the, uh, you know, here I am telling you that it is a custom furniture store. You hear it, whatever. 
but I'm telling you, go to these guys' website and check out their gallery. Then you get a real good idea of what it is that these guys are doing, what they're making, uh, the, the craftsmanship that goes into every piece that these guys produce, and uh, just the uniqueness of it all, right? They take old whiskey barrels, they refurbish them, and they turn them into awesome customized furniture, uh, art, tables, chairs, you name it, they can do it. Uh, so go to their website, bondurantcustomfurniture.com, check them out. The commercial's done. Let's get into today's podcast with Gary Faith. All right, back on the podcast today, we got a returning guest, uh, and today we are talking about whitetails. I think this is both of our passions, uh, both of our, our our drugs, so to speak. Uh, Gary Faith, how the hell are you, man? Living pretty good, Dan. What do you know? Oh, I just know that I'm trying to uh, collect as many brownie points right now as I possibly can so that uh, <laughs> when when the rut does get here, I just put my head down and go. Right, yeah. It's uh, putting out fires just all over the place. Right. Trying to guilt-free time in the woods, just searching for it. And, nice. like, extended, coming up pretty quick here. It's like, yeah, yep, gonna, yep, we're going to hunt again today. Yep, absolutely. So today what I want to talk about is this this time frame right now, this pre-rut, this late October time frame, not only what we're doing to get ready for the rut, but how, how we might approach hunting the uh, the pre-rut time frame. And I, I wanted to... I wanted to talk to you specifically because I know that you hunt a family farm, a piece of private ground, and I also know that you're a big public land guy out west there in western Iowa too. So uh, I want to just talk a little bit about everything, really. And the first question I have have for you is, you know, what are you doing this time of year to prepare for the next two to three weeks? Well, it kind of goes right along the same lines of like in the like living in the real world. Like realistically, what I'm trying to do is stay busy at work and then help at home as much as I can and then fit in what hunts I can, you know. And so it's like some evenings I'll be able to get out or if like I have the kids, we'll even go out and scout for deer. Everybody's got their pair of binoculars, you know, and we'll go out and we'll look for deer. But it's like. I got trail cameras running currently over some hot scrapes that I found, uh, monitoring them as I can, you know, uh, but like really trying to just bank honeydew time for coming up here. I'm in the internal debate because like I see so much good action in the latter half of November and it's kind of contradictory to like you listen to Bill Wink and he says the 6th through the 8th. 8th of November is usually like super hot, but it's like on public, it seems like the latter half of November, I'm seeing a ton of deer and the pressure is way less because you got like the two, first two weeks of November are just, there's a lot of people hunting and camps yeah. all over the place. And so it's like, do I just work and hunt as much as I can, you know, for over the next couple of weeks and then dedicate like the 8th through the end of the month to hunt every day or you know the weather itself man it's been an awesome october it's been painful 
being at work with some of these gold fronts and everything that's been running through this uh, country, man. Yeah. And then watching your social feeds with these deer get knocked down, you're like, okay, well, it might have been a good one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's one thing. That's one thing that I struggle with too is I want to get out and hunt, but. You know, even mid-October when, uh, was it like two weeks ago or a week ago, we had this gigantic cold front come through Iowa. And everybody was getting hot and bothered about it. And you just got to remember, and I even made like this Instagram post about it. I'm like, cold fronts are awesome, but just remember, it's only October 11th. And, you know, the there's not chasing going on. There, deer aren't running around like crazy. Right. And I, I, I tend to agree with you on that first part of November timeframe, because all I see is even up until November 3rd or 4th, uh, even though I shot my buck this year on November 4th, he wasn't, he wasn't chasing a doe. He was just kind of up cruising after a big rainstorm, uh, kind of happened. He was probably going out, uh, working a scrape line or whatever. And I just ended up running into him. But over the years, the big boys, they tend to show up right at last light, late October, early November. But it's like, I don't know. I'm not even too fired up about the first three to five days of November anymore. I'm kind of like you where the closer to Thanksgiving it is the more my trail cameras are showing big mature buck movement. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. It's like big bucks are like kind of like locomotion, you know, or like big old trains, and like it's a war of attrition this rut. And so, like cold fronts in October are a great time to see deer, and like I love seeing deer, but like I want to kill big bucks, you know, and so like in back to like living in the real world it's like the odds of me stumbling across something that i want to shoot on october 11th is pretty slim yeah. <laughs> you know overall like going out sitting the field edge on a public land you know it's like scratching an itch as much as it is anything but like when you're looking at as the rut starts to spool up and you have like i went out it been monday night i went out and I, I mean, deer are finally starting to, you know, like act like there's something in the air. There's a small buck standing out in the field, and then here comes a three-year-old, and he immediately locks on that buck and just stomps his way across there, and just, you know, nothing happens. But it's just like right now everyone's feeling their oats, and them two- and three-year-old bucks are out just covering dirt, you know. But it's like as you get into November – them bucks either run out of steam, start to get hurt or get shot, you know? Right. And then like it gets through that first week. And then all of a sudden them big boys, they know, okay, this continues to go. And if I just keep looking, I'm going to find more does. And then they run out of does locally. And then they just say, Oh, well, I remember last year. And this is where it comes back to all those annual patterns that everyone, you know, cause it's like, I got a footage of a deer last year that I'm after this year that I need to dig up because I can't remember the specific date, but it was like November 8th or something like that. He's like, and I'm going to do my best to be in that area on that date because I feel like, like I know on our farm specifically, our does 
cycle between the 8th and the 10th of November every year. Like, that's their day, you know. Yeah. And then I, I do believe that a lot of these does in a lot of these different areas are going to be within that two- to three-day window every year, you know, at least as a doe family specifically. And so these bucks understand that, especially the big ones, you know. And so they're just – that's why I think you're seeing as November 12th, 15th, 18th, out into clear into the end, like – some of the hottest days I've seen are the day before shotgun starts. You're like, no, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, right? Like just insane, right? Like big, like you know, I'm going out in years past. I'm seeing six, seven, eight bucks that I would consider shooting a day. You know, and right. it's like, it's just, I don't know. That's why, like, it's such a debate for me right now is because I, I mean, the, the work thing is there and it's kind of like a spigot and it's like, I can either say, okay, guys, uh, no more for a little bit. And I just start hunting. Like I got the option to do that on Tuesday. I talked this shower that I'm in on Tuesday. I can be like, all right, uh, we'll hunt for a little while, <laughs> you know, or I can schedule more work, Yeah, you know? And so I, I you know, I don't, I don't know, I think, like, the cameras I got out now, you know, I'll go check them tonight. That'll kind of dictate, you know. But, like, as for wanting to lock down a chunk of time, you know, like, anywhere from 10 to 14 days is what I'm hoping. Yeah. You know, like, well, but it's like. So let me ask you a question about the two different pieces of property you hunt, right? You have the. You have your your private farm that you and your family hunt on, and then you have the 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 public ground that you hunt on as well. This time of year, do you see a difference in the mentality of the herd or in in big mature bucks in general? Uh, like, what are they doing? Are are they doing the same thing, or are they doing a diff something different? Well. I, you know, I, I feel like they expand their realm in terms of where, like, I think they live in such a small pocket, some of these deer do, that it would just make, like, it just makes me scratch my head, you know. Like, I feel like some really big ones during the summer are living in, like, 10-acre pockets, you know, where they just don't have to go anywhere else. This is life, and this is life as I know it, you know, and so it's like, Specifically on our farm, like three years ago, we took out all rotation crop and then enrolled CRP. And well, I should say we, my father did that. And uh, since then it's changed the whole dynamic of everything. So we're trying to wrap our head around what's even going on down there because we lost 52 acres of food plot, Yeah, you know? And so like we've lost a lot of big bucks that normally live on us, like, you know, like we're, I think we have two this year that have shown up maybe twice, you know, but like they're there, you know, they're in the neighborhood. And so it's just a matter of being there on the right time. And so like, as to the dynamic of the herd around us, like, I know that like the big bucks are over the hill for the most part, you know, so like, um, they're just on the food right now. And then they're on where the does are living and they're just kind of like, all my trail cameras are showing big bucks between like 11:30 and two o'clock in the morning coming, you know, like the big ones, like the two and three year olds, they're there all day. And, 
you know, but I'm not getting any real big ones showing up until the middle of the night on a lot of the streets of the day. Gotcha. It's just, I mean, I feel like everything is just snowballing. And then, like, this weekend, shoot, it's October, what is it, 28th or whatever, and it's like, dang, you know, or I don't even know the date, but late October. Yeah. It's like, it just takes a buck on the one day to make a bad choice, you know, but, like, I think your odds are going to be better, you know, maybe 10 days from now, but. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your, what are your trail cameras telling you right now? Uh, as far as the ones that are, uh, that are working, I mean, you mentioned something about early morning movement, uh, are, are a majority of your big bucks still kind of in that nocturnal phase or are they getting really close to daylight or still running or are they running around in daylight? I haven't had anything on daylight yet. Like I'm, on the farm itself, I'm to be honest, I'm not running any cameras on the farm. Uh, I think the little brother has one, and he's he saw a nice buck cross the road uh, right at dusk uh, two days ago. The way he described it was a pretty good one. And so the the monitoring on the farm has gone down substantially, but the public land where I do have cameras on, everything is in the middle of the night right now. Uh, you know, when they're in velvet and watching them all summer, shoot, I had bucks all day, every day. I can get you But once everything come off and everything kind of dispersed, it's been mainly I've moved, moved cameras and scrapes. And, like, the I got a big old eight point on, and I think he was 2.30 in the morning. I checked the camera on Monday, and the big one was in there at 12.30 at night, and another one in there at 1.30. And so they're out in these food sources in the middle of the night. And so, like, that, you know, it's not really telling me a whole lot other than they're alive, you know, but uh, beyond that, it's, yeah, I'm I'm hoping for more movement. Like, the one I'm going to check after work today, like, I'm I'm really hoping I'm going to get some morning movement on that just because move travel corridor that it's coming out of and it comes through a saddle and every, there's a rub that runs up and down the whole thing. That's how I found the scrape itself and so like i'm really kind of hoping that this, this afternoon i get a little bit more intel in that respect yeah so what about uh the pup the piece of public that you hunt uh, are are you checking trail cameras or do you even have trail cameras out on that or is that just i'm going in and i'm hunting terrain features uh type of scenario looking for a hot sign well like i'm kind of become obsessed with one buck and it's it's not a good thing. And so I've kind of, everything's kind of gotten all dialed down to one area there. Yeah. And so I've moved, I think, three cameras and trying to just figure out how this guy is actually moving. And so it's kind of centralized itself all into the one little area there. And so, um, to be honest, I haven't figured a whole lot out yet. But yeah. Uh, so this, this yeah, one buck that there. you're, this one buck that you're chasing, he's living on, the the private piece that you hunt right no sir no, no he's okay. on public there and, yep. and yeah well do you know he's like, alive by my count, oh yeah yeah he's, he's alive and there's well it's like i had another one show up monday night and so okay. now there's two gotcha and so like the list is growing and then so by the count of like wanting to shoot probably at least a four to five year old there's five of them right now total between the farm 
in public that if they were walking in front of me, I'd probably shoot. You gotcha. know, but, uh, but your, most of your hit listers are on the piece of public. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. All right. So how are, how knowing that they're there right now, you said you got confirmation that the, your number one hit lister is alive. And then you identified a second hit lister on Monday night. Uh, are these deer, uh, have they been sighted from a tree stand or do you have trail cameras out there? telling you this information just trail cameras okay uh, i had i come across one uh while we were out scouting with the kids one evening but shoot that then three weeks ago uh the second like other than that it's just trail cameras and a nice little pinch that i know they're moving through um and like traditionally over the last past couple of years they have been moving through there and so it's kind of got us dialed down to that one area. And, uh, and so just honestly, I think I'm going to kind of back off and just wait until the cameras start to show that they're moving a little closer to daylight. Yeah. And I just hunt on the fringe of it. Uh, you know, it's got me scratching my head. That's yeah. for sure. So that's, you got tough. these, you got these two deer that have showed up on trail camera somewhat recently. Right. And, they're on public, so that means anybody can go chase them. Are you worried about other guys getting in there and uh, either finding out about these deer, or you know maybe accidentally stumbling across this this area and getting a crack at them? Mm, I don't know if "worried" would be the right word for it. It's like, of course, I'd like to be the one to get it, but it's like the reality of the situation is like I don't feel like there's too many secrets left in the whitetail woods anymore you know it's yeah. like you listen to all these stories on these big bucks and like nobody knows about it until it's shot and then all of a sudden everybody in a two mile radius has a handful of trail cam pictures of it you know right I mean? right and so it's like i you know that there's other people that know about this deer like, gotcha you, there's there's no way that there isn't you know yeah. and so it's like if if they get him they get him you know but i just know that i'm just continue to think like he's it's like this area specifically has produced big deer since i've been hunting this you know and we've been hunting since i was i think old enough to first drive so 16 and so i'm 34 now and so for the last 16 years this area has been producing big deer you know and so it's like it's more of a puzzle than trying to figure out how to hunt a buck right there so that from this time moving forward, a guy can say, okay, right there, that's how you kill a buck in that spot. And so I'm still searching, you know, you get close and like you can hope on luck on a lot of it, but it's like, you know, that they're moving through this terrain in a specific fashion because that's how big bucks move through this terrain. Yeah. You know, and it don't matter if it's this buck that is going to die this year or if it's the next buck that's going to come through in five years from now. You know, it's like that the hill isn't going to change that much. The way that the bedding cover isn't going to change that much. And so it's like, it's a matter of trying to figure out the puzzle itself. Like, it, this, the low hills and the way the winds work, it just, it's just got me... Like, I wanted, like, we were talking before we got on here about the Ozarks. 
man, I just, I need to get a little side job and just <laughs> generate a little cash. Cause man, I want one of them in the tree. Cause I'm running sand crusher and all that I'm doing, you know, but it's just, I, I feel like if I had one more little deal to try and cause it's just like, you'll be set up, say it's a Northwest wind, you get into where you're at and it comes out of the Southeast until the sun goes down and then it's back out of the Northwest. And so how do you hunt that? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's tough. Or if I went in the direction that I can blow from the stand. So let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Uh, what are you doing? How many, how many times a week are you now starting to check your trail cameras to see if these target bucks are getting closer to daylight or running around in daylight? Well, they're real easy to get to. Um, and like, as of right now, so Wednesday night is gymnastics. And so Wednesday night is no kids. Yeah. And so the woman and the kids go up and they go and hang out with her mom for the night. And so like, Wednesday nights is a hunting night. <laughs> so we'll go out or I'll go out. And a lot of times on Wednesday I will. And then it's like, it become a weekend warrior for the pace of the season so far. And so it's like, I'll usually on once a week is what it's been since they've been out. And, you know, it, like I try and let it cook. Like the one I'm going to check probably today, I put out on Sunday. And so it's like, I'm trying to get like, as the dreweries call it, MRI, get my, my MRI, you know, my most recent information is like, I feel like these bucks are just going to shift range here really quick. Yeah. So maybe trying to catch him on a pattern, you know, I've, I don't know. Like, and I haven't even set foot on the farm yet. Like, yet. I'm just kind of letting that place spool up. Um, I'll probably start hunting that here in the next week or so I would think. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, that's, that's really all I'm doing this weekend is I'm going to go try to fill the freezer. I'm going to try to shoot a doe or I have three doe tags, um, one in the County that I live in and then two in the County that I do most of my hunting in. So I'm, my main goal is basically just get ready for the big push here in a couple weeks. And that includes, checking trail cameras and maybe going in and hunting what might be a good, you know, late October set, but leave my tree stand in there uh, and not take it down so that when the rut does come, I might, you know, I'll have a, you know, I'll have a decent head start that, you know, I'll have a tree stand up that I don't need to worry about, you know, setting up in the dark. I'll just leave it there. You know what I mean? So, um, just checking trail cameras. And if there's something that sparks my interest, you know, I have a hit list this year too. And if one of those three bucks shows up, uh, close to daylight, I might go in and try to hunt them. But if they're not, then I'm probably just going to sit back and go try to shoot another doe, uh, on the opposite side of the farm where these deer aren't showing up and hell I might, I might even just go for uh you know go for a scouting mission and see if i can't bump something that that's a pretty aggressive move but we'll see what we'll see what happens and if i bump something then i'll set up there and if he comes back he comes back the next morning if he doesn't well uh, i know he's in the area right so just basically trying to find good edge trying to find good terrain features and maybe a place where those two things meet and i think that uh uh that's a that's a good start now 
when you go in uh, to, let's say, uh, this piece of public ground, and you mentioned there are certain terrain features up there that are just it, the bucks just like coming through that area. What specifically does that area look like? Talk about that that tree stand location and why you picked that tree stand location as far as the terrain is concerned. Well, so it's a lot of micro topography is kind of how like, I've been trying to look at it all. And so it's like the idea of being able to hide my wind okay. to a certain respect. And so it's like, if that wind's going to pull up the hill, at least it's going to go up and it's going to get caught in this little trough of sorts and it's going to suck up behind it. Yeah. And so it's like main travel corridors is what I'm finding. And like Clint Casper is on the working class and he's talking about spur ridges. I've been trying to pay a lot more attention to it, but like the little ridges that start to come off of these main ridges and like, and how these bucks are using these, access these big fields because it seems like they're all it's kind of they're all running perpendicular to the main ridge is what i'm finding these bucks are rather than running lengthwise to it and so it's kind of making it tough to figure out exactly where they're coming out and so i'm just eliminating areas yeah and so coming in and checking for sign and then giving it a hunt and this setting up so that my wind is going to at least I mean, it's so hard because the deer are going to come in from above and below. And so it's just kind of an educated guess as to which one is, you know, because there's just so much bedding cover that there's just a lot of places for these deer to bed. Like sitting there watching this field the other night, and it's like, it seems like they're all on the radio talking to one another, these deer are, because you have the deer on the far south that come out, they got the wind to the and about 300 yards up here come another set of deer and so okay and then about 200 yards up from there here come the deer and so all of a sudden they're flagged out like staggered across this field and then on the far 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 north end here comes the buck you know and so it's like it's just they have a tripwire alarm system for themselves you know but and so it's just trying to hide within that is and so like microtopography i can't wait for the leaves to come off yeah so we can actually get some elevation on our tree stands right um it seems like if you get above 10 12 feet right now you might as well just be sitting in a bush yeah you just can't see anything yeah and so i'm, I'm ready for that but just like there's we got so where the little brother saw one cross i've killed a buck in there two years ago it's just such an amazing yeah Northwest wind, there's a little baby finger that comes down and the wind just sucks right up that bugger right there, you know, and so they, the buck comes in thinking he's got it in his face, but it's curling up behind him. Oh, it's a great spot. Yeah. So are are you thinking that on these, uh, these long ridges and uh, some of these spur ridges that the deer are staying real low in the drainages and then using one of these uh, secondary ridges to come up and hit the main ridge? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I think that they're coming up on the leeward side of the spur ridge. And so it seems like everything runs cattywampus to, like, the compass. And so these ridges run northeast to southeast or, you know, and then these spur ridges will run even more crooked to that. And so if they're coming 
say the a buck is heading northwest on this ridge and you have this wind blowing right in its face and then it goes up this little spur ridge like it could catch the wind from the valley over in front of it from the valley behind it it's just the way them winds work they curl and they swirl and they eddy and they split and it's just like you can see like you walk these trails and you can this is why they're here you know and then you can see why this scrape is right here because if he stands right here for 10 minutes he can get the wind for every valley radius especially when you get down in some of these thermal hubs where like if the wind drops off to nothing and then you get the thermals dropping real bad because it's not like crazy elevation, but it's enough where you're getting the thermal effect on every night. If the wind is below, you know, eight to 10 mile an hour. And so you think, okay, I need to get down in this bottom, but you just can't hunt it, you know, because then as soon as anything kicks up wind wise, it schools. And, and then, you know, that's why Ozonic keeps popping my mind because yeah. I, it's just it's hard to get you know, like you see like the the winkies and that they're in these muddy scent proof blinds you know in these bottoms because if they were not in like they're on like a 30 second counter where they crack the window to where the deer are going to bust them before they have to shoot you know and so it's just you know, and then if you get up on the tops then right now it's so thick and so it just uh I'm still trying to dial her in, Dan. Yeah. Tell you the truth. Yeah. It's so, like, farm, I can go down to the farm and find deer pretty good, but, like, this public land stuff, I'm just, I'm really kind of opening up a whole new, like, avenue of trying to figure these deer out. That's for darn sure. So, let me ask you this. When you changed on your, uh, on your private farm, you took it out of crop rotation and put in CRP. This is a two part question. Was it a, gigantic impact on the deer herd like they just left uh, or and then the second question is did you guys end up planting some food plots your 10 percent food plot allotment um yeah it was, it was a huge shift huge and so the year before crp enrollment we had actually taken a five acre field out of rotation crop and planted it enough yeah next year it it under but that year that we planned, we killed, I think, five deer over 140 on that farm. Yeah. And so the next year, I don't believe we killed a deer on it. The following year, I think maybe one. Uh, and then this, like, yeah, it, it was huge. It's like, it was, it was just, it was such a big shift that it's like completely changed the, the entire dynamic of the farm, like 100%. So, and, uh, this, were this you and your was, brother trying to talk your dad out of it at all? <laughs> or oh, we leave the five acres of alfalfa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what we kept trying to say, you know, come on, leave the alfalfa at least. Just leave the alfalfa. You know, he's like, oh, no, you know. Uh, I don't know. What did he do? He, did, but, he, did he do that just for some income? Or did he have a like a plan, yeah, a, a like management plan? Up, no, no. Well, it was, it's a pollinator. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's a positive thing without a doubt. Like having that there is not a bad thing and it's beautiful. And during the summer we hold does and it's real, there's really pretty flowers. That's for sure. But like, <laughs> and I'm like we burn next spring for the first time. And so I'm, I'm 
looking forward to that because that's going to be fun, and I'm sure we're going to find some sheds. And overall, yeah. 100%, it was financial incentive. Um, the lease agreement uh, per acre price versus the government incentive price, there was a pretty significant difference. And so, from the old man's perspective, I get it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like I, I understand. You know, and so like. Like, if it, like, on a play and pretend, if it was, like, quote, unquote, my fault, like, there'd be a whole lot of things that would, you know, it's like, not enroll it in pollinator, more enroll it in, like, a pheasants forever type of grass, because if you can do that, then you can actually withheld 10% back for food plots in it, you know, like, there's just little things like that, but... At, at the same time, you know, it's like you just have to work with what you got. Um, like this year, we put like the old man and my uh, half acre plots. And then we have like a two acre alfalfa field. I have a three acre alfalfa field for my horses, but it's right up by the house there. I think we did some sorghum. Uh, you know, so it's just kind of a random allotment of. And it'd be interesting. There's one plot there that I think will do really well. Um, we have a lot of bedding cover now. Like that's the upside of the CRP is like during the rut itself, we'll definitely hold uh, some sequestered bucks and does. Like that's something that happens for sure, you know. But uh, the dynamic itself on the farm is just it shifted so hard that it, it just. Uh, it's pretty much like starting over <laughs> really yeah. Yeah. after all, all the time. Well, that's a good thing and a, and a bad thing too. Uh, Cause I remember a couple of years ago, I, on the main farm that I hunt, they started logging it in late October and they logged it all through November up until it started uh, snowing. Right. And I was so mad and I was just like, Oh my God, this sucks. But what happened is I, I've noticed now that, the areas that did get logged are now real thick and they've become these mini bedding areas just for play, you know, not necessarily for them to live all year round, but for deer to just continue to stay on the farm all year round. They have different, they have different options to, you know, for bedding areas now. And in the long run, you know, my frustration up front was just short term. And now I see that it was a good thing and that, uh, these, you know, these, what may to us seem like major changes and made to the deer seem like major changes. What we can all realize is that, or we should understand is that if you want to kill a big deer, you, it doesn't matter if you see 30 deer a night or if you just see one deer a night, right? Like the night that I killed my, my biggest buck last year, I saw one deer in like two days three days and that was him and he showed up and I shot him. Right. And you know, it's, it's, it's great. I guess it just depends on what your goal is every season, right? Is your goal to see a whole bunch of deer or is your goal to shoot a big deer? Yeah, I agree. It's, and that's something that I've had to get better at is understanding that my perspective on this is not everybody else's perspective. Like, there's no doubt about it. There's not a lot of people in my circle that actually 
build their life around hunting. Like, I'm obsessed with it. It's silly, you know. And so, like, to put my standard on what I want to do on somebody else is, like, that's asking an awful lot, you know. Yeah. So, it's just, what it, like, so I was listening to the Wired to Hunt podcast on the way here where Mark is talking to the two mentored hunters, you know. And he's, like, and it just kind of made me crack a grin when he's talking about he started shaking, you know, he's like, Oh, I started shaking. And like, I've never felt anything like that. He says, you know, and it's, it's like, it, it creates such a fire inside of me. And I, and I search for that, that it's just like, it's insatiable to a certain degree, you know, but it's like, it's an absolute driver. You know, it drives, it drives everything inside of my life. You know, and it's like, I wish I was better at it, to be honest, sometimes, you know, like sometimes you're really scratching your head as to why you have such a nice backpack when you go out and you don't see anything, you know, but like, it's, it's definitely like this time of year right now, <laughs> like if it's late October, come on, let's go. Like I'm, I'm fired. I am so fired up like <laughs> to get out that like every like I don't know work and all that like it's there you know but my head is in like I'm dreaming of white tail going to sleep thinking about strand like stand strategy and I'm you know this this is definitely the Super Bowl of it all and it's like I'm just super jacked. All right, so let me ask you uh, let me ask you a question here about you know when you do get out and you do start getting the rut you know like start hunting the rut do you have a routine that you go through uh, uh in the rut and i don't mean like i wake up in the morning i get i shower i put my clothes on you know I walk, like that i'm talking about the grand scheme of things like do you have a rotation of uh, terrain features that you're hunting like what once you start hunting the rut what are you doing uh to try to accomplish your goal of shooting a, a, a mature buck and, you know, like this year, like I, my mind's been so caught up on that one. And I think I need to free myself of that. Because traditionally speaking, like I'm going, I'm hunting mornings and I'm seeing what the morning plays out. And then I'm spending two hours or more after that looking for the freshest sign. And then that night I will hunt that sign, you know, and then it's like constant, like trying not to get too locked down into thinking, okay, well, I have to be here. I have to be here. I have to be here because like it's, you could be just one valley off, yeah. you know? And so just, I would just, I'll hunt morning, which would be generally speaking, the bedding type of coming off a of cover, trying to get transition from the food into the bedding, you know, like generally speaking. And so like you were talking how like wanting to have the morning stand set, like, Oh, I am the, cause I've been, hanging and hunting every hunt including mornings and like the idea of carrying a stand into an unknown area and hanging a tree stand in the morning it's kind of stressful sometimes <laughs> it's like you don't know it's like opening up a box you don't know what you're gonna find it's like once you get up in the tree you're like uh it's dark um we'll see what happens you know so it's like i think i may try and go have a couple more like 
at least prep type of areas for the morning just to cross them out. And I might take care of that like over the next couple weekends, but it's like just looking for sign essentially, yeah. you know, and then trying to hunt close to food source from that sign. It, it's just like, it's, you're just one valley off. It's like chase like them elk out there this year, you know, you're in one cut. It's just like, they don't even exist on this mountain. And once you get there, find them you're like oh here they are now we can hunt gotcha gotcha so you're basically just being as mobile as possible trying to find the freshest sign hunt the freshest sign once you get into the rut and you're doing that are you still checking trail cameras a lot or or are you just basically going through the rotation of hunting fresh sign like uh i think i'm going to try my best to keep at least three or four cameras out throughout the duration of the entire season it's it's such an excellent resource for gathering you know it's like man did they cross here or who like when did they come you know it's just like i so i went and checked one monday night and it was there wasn't anything on it you know i was like i need to get this out of here but i thought why is it's just going to sit in my truck for the next five days. Like, I'm just going to leave this camera here until I can come in with a plan for it. And so I just, uh, I think I'm going to work off a radius where I'm finding the best side. Yeah. Cameras within that radius. So I can start dialing in where these bucks are moving and when like, yeah. I'm just like, and I haven't employed this strategy as near as much as I'd hoped over the years because it's always like, oh, I'll get one and then it's right in my truck for two weeks, you know, it's like, but I'm going to try and make a point of having these out there and so they can gather information that I can't find while I'm not. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of just run through what I do real quick. Uh, you know, this time of year is all about gathering data and looking for fresh sign. Like for me, I've realized over the years that you can go in unless you have a buck pegged, uh, you you've seen them from the tree stand or you, I don't know, or you have some historical data or you have recent trail camera intel on him. I'm I'm typically not making a, a gigantic push. I'm I'm checking historical or I'm hunting either fresh sign or historically good places where I've had encounters uh, with deer before, or I'm just trying to fill the freezer, right? Like I think I told you this before we started recording, I've only been out one time in Iowa this entire year so far. Uh, Today is Friday. So I'm going to try to get out uh, tonight, tomorrow morning, Friday night or Saturday night, Sunday morning. And then I got to come back uh, home I got to do the trick or treat thing. And then next weekend, uh, you know, November 1st and 2nd is when I'll really start paying attention to the trail cameras, uh, maybe going down to the main farm and checking some things out. But other than that, I just start this rotation where I, I go into an area, a historically good area. I'll hunt it. If nothing shows up, I'll bounce around to the next really good spot. And I'll, I'll almost go into a rotation until I find the buck that I'm looking for, uh, either a visual from the tree stand or a trail camera picture. And then once I get that Intel, I'm moving 
all my chips into this area. And what I mean by that is I'm bringing in additional trail cameras into the area, trying to find where he's moving, how he's moving, and then whittle, basically whittle it down until I feel like I've got, I've got this buck pegged to where he's coming. Now, that's a great theory to, or, you know, uh, a great strategy. But as we all know, the rut can cause chaos. But the thing about what what I always feel uh, happens during the rut is a buck will get a doe, he'll run around like crazy chasing her, he'll breed her, but then I think he'll come back to this core location, this core area, and he'll start the process again, and he'll work the, the bedding areas, and he'll work whatever. Now, sometimes deer just kind of, you know, run into another hot doe and then they'll take him even further away. Yes, that happens. But I feel like these, these bucks, especially the big mature ones this time of year, they're going to get the first doe that becomes available. There's not even a fight for her really, right? Unless there's two mature bucks in the same area, there's going to be a dominant buck. He's going to, he's going to push all these other deer out of the way. He's going to get the first doe. So it's almost like this time of year, I'm looking for mature does as well. I'm not necessarily looking for a, a, a doe group. I'm looking for good bedding areas, and I'm looking for a place where, you know, where uh, a doe, like there might be a mature doe who a big buck might seek out, right? And I know you talked about it a little bit on uh, earlier where you said your does cycle through, a, you know, in a certain part of November every year. I've noticed a trend like that as well, where the the bucks, the big mature bucks, aren't even coming into an area until you know this mid November time frame, and so it's almost like the 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 mature buck movement goes away for a while early November, and then comes back, and uh, so I, I just I just continue to watch the trail cameras and. Uh, and do and you know go through that routine now for the guys out there who don't run trail cameras i think that if you just stick to historical encounters that you've had over the years with big bucks and or mature bucks and hunt edge and hunt fresh sign and hunt terrain features i think you're going to get a really good crack at whatever it is that you're looking for regardless of if you have trail camera intel or not and for me this is this is what i've seen over the years or what i've learned over the year this is the biggest takeaway for me and that is when i am i used to sit field edges over scrapes all the time and i would see a lot of deer but not a lot of deer within shooting range right once i backed off into the timber i saw less deer but I had more deer in shooting range and more big bucks or mature bucks within shooting range, you know? And I think depending on, it, it all depends on what you're going after, but if your goal is to shoot a mature buck, I think you should be willing to sacrifice seeing deer versus shooting deer, right? My goal is to shoot it a big buck. So I, I typically don't hunt field edges anymore anymore i can agree with you on it it's and that's something that honestly i i it's like a dichotomy that i struggle with it's like i love seeing deer 
but I'm hunting big bucks, you know, like that, that's my goal. Like realistically is like, if a guy wanted to just shoot a buck or a two or a three year old, like, it's like, yeah, let's sit these field edges and there's a good chance that you're going to get one, you right. know, but so it, it's like, and if, and I'm private, but it doesn't mean them deer don't understand pressure, you know, and they don't like, they know what is going on. I don't, believe that there's a deer in the woods right now aside from maybe some of these big huge private tracks that has not spelled a boot track like they know that deer that we're in the woods back hunting them like they understand that you know and so especially like like this this time right now and then after the 10th or 12th of november or I feel are the better times to catch these big ones moving is because they're right now looking for the first doe. And then you got about 10 days of just hot does everywhere. And then they're looking for the last doe, you know, cause I think you're right. I don't think these big bucks have to struggle for does. Yeah. I, I think they know where they live. I think they know when they cycle I, structure of the herd understands that this buck if he moves in on you like you're probably just going to give up what you got going on and just move on with your life you know like if he wants this buck or this doe he's going to get it and so he can live in the 200 acre chunk where there's six doe groups and he don't have to leave yeah you know this this is this is home for me and it's safe and i can just you know but once all them does are bred then all of a sudden there was a buck there that uh a new hunted said seven miles this buck traveled as a crow fly in one night trail cameras confirmed it you know and so it's like it's you just can't call it you know because maybe it's like then you throw in like the whole genetic like what type of dna they you know is there some type of drive to go so far so that you can spread your seed. You know, I don't know how these animals do yeah. know that it's all, all cards are off the table as soon as there's hot does everywhere. But like this, you know, five day window right now where you could potentially come into an area where you're getting the first hot doe or a doe that's going to come in in the next two to three days. Like you could have every buck within a four or 500 acre area in front of you. Like, just to, just it, it just that one second. About right now, but yep, yep, just takes one second. Well, Gary, man, that's it, yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Hey, man, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for hopping on and uh, BSing with me a little bit about uh, you know what's going to happen the next the next three weeks, and uh, I mean, heck, the next four, maybe even five weeks, depending on you know, when does come into heat in uh, the areas that you hunt. Good luck the rest of the season, man, and keep me posted on uh, how you do. Yeah, I hope to see some pictures from you also, man. I, I feel like uh, we're both kind of wanting to put something in the freezer pretty bad right now. And so I hope you get to knock some does down this weekend and be safe, man, and have fun. And that brings us to the end of another Iowa Sportsman podcast, man. Huge shout out to Gary for taking time 
to hop on the podcast and chit chat with us today, please take some time and go to the Iowa Sportsman website. Take a look at all of the content that we have there. Uh, We have written articles. We have access for you to subscribe to the magazine, which has excellent articles in it as well. If you are an outdoors man or woman who lives in the state of Iowa or even the surrounding states, this information applies to you as well. Tons of great information and you The cherry on top here is the podcast with uh, much more great information, if I do say so myself. Hopefully you guys are enjoying this. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. Like I said, visit the website, iowasportsman.com. And uh, if you're a bow hunter, it's the best time of the year right now to get out there, start uh, hunting, having fun, but most importantly, be safe and enjoy yourself. Have fun. And we'll talk to you next week.